It's a, it's a, it's a ill mind that's still time build and refine. Still getting mine in the nine at nine nine. <laughs> Don't touch the dial, you heard. Happy Monday, everybody. DJ Geometrics here. It's time once again for the 9 at 9 DJ podcast, the online show with nine DJs on a roundtable panel discussing today's DJ topics. This show is brought to you by Beat Refinery DJ School at Bach to Rock. Learn how to mix, scratch, and make music by visiting BeatRefinery.com. We have school locations all around the U.S., this is episode number 16, and we're dedicating this one strictly for the ladies. Very excited for the show. We, have, we are very honored to have some legends, some pioneers in this game. We have some of the best we've seen on the battle side, some on the turntable side, some on the party rocking side. So we'll be chatting it up with them, with some of the best ladies in this DJ culture here tonight. But first, let me introduce the rest of my crew, my co-host. We got DJ as one. <laughs> what up, what up? Welcome back, guys. By the way, our dope routine you posted up on the DMC US site, man. Hopefully, oh, thank uh, you, brother. Thank you, man. Thank you for it. Finals of that. Thank you. Uh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have Sean J. What up, what up? Yeah. From Baltimore City. How y'all? Yeah. And finally, I'm going to pass the mic off to Stylus Chris. Yo, yo. Uh. What's, what's up? Hope everybody's doing well. Trying to make it through this, uh, this time. And I have to say, we are really excited to have this, this panel and topic discussion tonight. We have five special guests tonight that have been performing at the top of their craft, giving countless time and energy back to the culture and using their platforms for positive change. We're going to be discussing all kinds of topics tonight, some from a straight DJ perspective and others from being a female DJ in this game. And we are honored, as we've said before, to have these incredible established esteemed ladies here joining us. And some of them personally, Geo, Art, myself have known for decades. Others we've been fans of of the recent years, specifically with, with Beat Refinery going out to NAM and getting to check some of them. and. Uh, we love to run them down in alphabetical order, as we always do. So without further ado, on it. our first guest is a DJ producer based in Los Angeles. Her sets are an explosive mix of hip-hop, EDM, pop culture with elements of turntablism and scratching. She has managed to gain an international audience playing shows all across the globe from LA to NYC, spent some time here in DC, France, and her homeland of Russia. Her DJing and production skills can be credited to her musical background as a classically trained pianist, as well as her mentors, Qbert and our brother, DJ ID, Beat Refinery, oh, hey, original oh. instructor. 
She has released several original tracks, including Make the Booty Go and Up in the Club on UFO Records, both of which entered the top 10 of Beatport's Trap Future Bass charts. And she's also been working on a number of remixes, such as Jaquan Tipsy, Drake, God's Plan, and Saweetie with Kalani Icy Girl. Let's give it up for our special guest, Eliza May! (laughs) What's up? Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. We have our next special guest, 23-year veteran of the underground hip-hop scene and turntablist community. She's rocked the decks across Canada, the U.S., Europe, Asia, Australia at some of the most prestigious clubs, concerts, and festivals to date. As a classically trained musician, getting a, kind of getting a theme here, she certainly pushes the craft with a strong foundation, and her Sunday scratch sessions with DJ Manzo are legendary in Montreal. Her latest EP, Reckless, featuring the likes of Wasu, Nate Husser, Serini T, Ross Koss, is a project that not only showcases her talents as a scratch dj but as a producer composer and singer as well let's give it up for our sister killer yes thank you so much thanks so glad you're here yeah good to be here 23 years repping that jordan status man (laughs) that's it Now, our next guest is also, you know, this is family to us, especially, uh, you know, geometrics and, and how far the, the relationships go back. Um, originally from Queens, she's a community organizer for nearly 25 years, is a people's hip-hop DJ scholar, believe that. She is Philippine X writer, poet, theater performer, educator, hip-hop feminist, and community global activist. She's widely regarded as one of the most legendary women DJs in the world. She's written for several anthologies and blogs, including a guest contributing writer for Color Lines and Racialicious. She has spoken at over 150 colleges, can you believe that? Universities across the United States. Founding core member and organizer with Asian Solidarity Collective and co-founded the People's Collective for Justice and Liberation. When COVID-19 emerged, she founded We All Got What... We all, we're all we got, San Diego Mutual Aid, and have served thousands of people throughout San Diego County with food, rent, and payment of utility bills. In 2018, she was titled a Global Hip-Hop and Culture Ambassador by Next Level's Meridian International Center, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and the U.S. Department of State Bureau Education of Cultural Affairs. She currently serves as the site manager for Next Level. I mean, what more can I say? Let's give it up for Cutting Candy! yes you're a good reader chris that was i mean for for real uh you know the our guest tonight it's special man these these guests have have done so much all of them and you know most of our most of our intros are just like guys just list a couple things because it's just you know that's what they do but like you you guys are it's just it's special to have you guys and thank you candy for for giving us your time and energy. We know you're so busy. Thank you. I'm honored to be here, especially with all these brilliant, amazing DJs, um, including yourself. So I'm deeply excited for this conversation tonight. Well, we're excited to have you for sure. And we have to say this this next guest is uh, another incredible DJ that I, I've, I saw personally the first time at NAM a couple years ago and just was like, 
watching her rock at all these different booths and just completely wowed by her presence. Um, when it comes to skills, charisma, and energy, that's that's where this person collides in the universe. From NYC to LA and beyond, she's an asset to any event. She instinctively knows how to read a crowd and deliver a performance to unite the room and raise the vibration. A tasteful selector with technical skills, she creates musical adventures throughout transitions using tricks like scratching, juggling, and wordplay to seamlessly flow between genres and decades. Rytos is the perfect blend of pure talent plus dedication to her craft and an ultra-dope package. She studied turntablism with the world-famous Beat Junkies and Scratch Icon, and our guest, we'll, we'll keep her name quiet for a second, a veteran yoga teacher. She teaches public classes on a weekly basis. She's poised to drop her brand and brand new project, The Yoga Mixtapes, Volume 1, later this month, month, and catch her at any moment this star as she ascends on her inevitable rise to worldwide fame. She's a sound and look, a vibe and energy. I've witnessed it myself. Let's give it up for Ride Toast. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So nice to be here with all you amazing humans. I'm excited. Yes. Thanks for joining us. And and thank you for writing in the, the segue to our certainly not least guest, but the last one we're going to name here and just personal excitement for me as, as we go back so, so long and with her roots here in the area. And, and, um, she is, uh, described as the world's premier female DJ by the Grammy foundation, multi-passionate world-renowned DJ turntablist, music producer, and as well, a very accomplished DJ instructor, record label boss, actor, voice actor, and published author. Honored as Queen of the Scratch World DJ by DJ Times. 25 years as a DJ producer, highlighted by a series of Ladies First, Rolling Stone distinguishes her among the fader-flipping elite and her pioneering spirit, inspiring talent and long resume of accomplishments spark all gender, gender aside. She's also taught thousands of other the craft of DJing since 1997 through group classes, private lessons, books, tutorial videos, and online DJ courses, as well as creating the first ever DJ instructional video series teaching how to mix scratch and beat juggle. She is our sister, DJ Shorty! Shorty! <laughs> <laughs> so excited to be here with all these awesome ladies and awesome DJs in general. It's just an honor. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, you were, uh, you know, you, we couldn't do this without you. I mean, you're, you're such an ambassador. Um, you know, I think right off the top, you know, let's just start with you, Shorty, and just a quick, just a quick, we'll run it around to everybody, but just how did you get into DJing? Uh, well, I started out as a drummer, um, another classically trained musician over here. That seems to be a theme. That's definitely a theme. <laughs> I started out playing drums and percussion and piano when I was seven, and I was a total band geek all the way up through high school and college. I was in the marching band, symphonic band, uh, you know, all that stuff. And um, I was into hip-hop, and I was into electronic dance music, but I didn't respect the DJ at all because I was a traditional musician who could read music and I understood music theory and I was like wicked wicked that's so easy anyone can do that I play a real it's honest 
I could read music. And then uh, when I was in college, I was going to a lot of raves, a lot of hip hop shows, a lot of Grateful Dead shows. I was also really into jam bands. Um, and uh, so I appreciated the DJ, but I still didn't really respect the DJ. Uh, and the, the scratching that I saw, no disrespect, but at that time growing up through high school, and this is like in the 80s, 90s, right? It was just really basic early 90s, you know, really basic. So as a traditional musician, it was very hard for me to take that seriously as a musical instrument until I saw one of my friends invited me over to his house. And he was like, yo, my boy, my friend is in town. Um, he's scratching in my living room and you gotta come see him. And I was like, wiki, wiki, whatever. And he's like, <laughs> come over and check this guy out. And I was like, all right. So I walked all the way across campus and I went to his apartment and I walked in and there, there was this guy and he was scratching like, and I had never seen anybody scratch like this before. It was like all these Latin rhythms and syncopated rhythms and rhythms. I couldn't even play on the drums. He was using all these different mm. sounds. And um, he was a skinny Puerto Rican with dreads, and I just found that very cute as well. <laughs> but that aside, we'll get back to that in a second. <laughs> so then later that night, I was playing um, drums in my punk rock band. I was in a punk rock band at that time. It was a house party. And um, I was playing drums, and the, I felt someone staring you know, behind me, like standing behind me the whole time. Piercing eyes. And I said, yeah, the piercing eyes, right? Yeah. And I could feel them burning. <laughs> and so I'm like, sneak <laughs> looks as I'm playing. Um, and it was that guy. And he was standing there, he was watching me the whole time. And then he came up at the end and he was like, you're a really good drummer. And I was like, you're an amazing scratch DJ. How do you do that? It's amazing. He's like, well, it's a percussion instrument. You know, I could teach you. It's the same. You're, you would pick it up really easy. And if that was a pickup line, it worked because we've been together for 25 years. We got married in 2001. We house. I was just going to say this. Literally Yo, that is the best story. Wow. Oh, and wow. that's how I started DJing. And he taught me the basics of wow. mixing and, and beat juggling. But at that time, I started, this was in 1995. Right, so, right. No YouTube. Yo, that is Many ill. People can relate on here. There's no YouTube. No way to see other DJs, unless you were like watching a DMC video, right? Which is like a crusty VHS tape that maybe would play all the way through if you're lucky, or face to face. And so it was very hard to see other DJs. And I lived in southwestern Virginia at the time. I was going to Radford University, which is right near oh. Tech. Um, yeah. We later moved to Atlanta and got in a crew with Craze and Clever and Shotgun, and we had our crew third world citizens. But at this time, there were very few DJs around. So there were no females at all around. So I hadn't seen any female DJs when I was learning right at the beginning until I saw Cut and Candy on a DMC video. I think this was might have been 1996, right. around that time. <laughs> and she was the first female I ever saw scratching. Um, other than um, uh, like anything really, really basic, like someone like really on the level with the guys. Um, and then, uh, but I'd never seen anyone beat juggling until I saw Symphony of original mm. Beat Junkies crew and she was beat juggling. So oh, she's the I first girl I ever saw mm -hmm. beat juggling. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really get to connect with any females until I think I met Candy in like the late 90s in like 1997 or around there. And so I think 
Candy, I think you were the first female DJ I ever met face to face, but I don't think you even, we never scratched together or anything. The first female I ever got to scratch with was Analyze. I just want to give her a shout out. Um, mm -hmm. She was going to try to make this, this podcast, but, um, and so we got to scratch together for the first time. I saw her at NAM in 2002. We argue about the year, but in 2002. <laughs> oh, 2002. <laughs> and, yeah, and that's the first time I ever got to scratch with another female. And again, there's no YouTube, no way to connect. Right. So if you were gonna like learn, you had to know someone or you were just watching these DMC videos trying to figure stuff out. But that's how I started, 1995 and then um, but back then, again, not, there was no flare, there was no crab, there was no Autobahn or, you know, any of that, no boomerang. So we got to learn the scratches and the new techniques together, Bobby and I, DJ Faust and I, together after the basics. So there came a point in time where, you know, he wasn't teaching me anymore. We were just learning together and sharing. And, and I taught him a lot about electronic dance music. He taught me a lot more about hip-hop. Wow. That's the rest. I could talk longer but i won't but that's the beginning the origins origins the origin then, story the oranges, <laughs> the oranges. <laughs> uh no politics well that's the, the funny <laughs> but the funny yeah, that's how i started basically and then oh wait how i started teaching was 1999 i made a video a vhs yes. video right um it was shorty's dj 101 it was spelled at the dj hut for sure <laughs> yeah so but that was the beginning of that yeah, that I mean, you've you've been pioneering. Oh, since, yeah, since I've known you, and that's I was gonna say, you know, big shout out to Faust. You know, him and I, we grew up practically together, and we both kind of spent some time in Herndon, Virginia. Yeah, and you know, we we got we got roots that go so far back, and it, it's it's always a, a pleasure to me when I if we're somewhere random like Nam, and I catch Bobby, and then I just know like I only have to look a little bit to the left or right, and Shorty or will be right a there down. too. Or down, <laughs> but you 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 touched on it like how how Candy uh, is is kind of one of the first female DJs that you saw and like let's just let's kick it over to Candy and you know give us give us some of your perspective of of how you came into to DJing and, and the culture. Oh, I mean, wow! Thank you, Shorty, for sharing your origins. I love hearing everyone's um, origins. I can't wait to hear everyone else's. I love hearing how people started and. I never knew a lot of the background about how you met Faust and all of that. That's beautiful. <laughs> my touching stories. Um, for me, I mean, I just grew up around music. My father was a, a vinyl collector, loved music. I was around it a lot. And then uh, when I was around high school, I was around a lot of DJs, but I never saw myself as a DJ. I would just always go to party all kinds of parties all the time. I was more of writing rhymes kind of person, although I was I always felt I was whack at that. I always tried to do graffiti. I felt I was whack at that. But <laughs> I always made attempts at that. I, but I was more of a poet, so I, I do do poetry. But um, And then one day, I don't know, something about going to some parties with some crews that I used to hang out with, and um, they were called the 3DS crew here in um, when I was in New York City in my hometown and around them and just going to parties to parties and watching them DJs a mobile crew, hitting up all the clubs and learning from them. And then um, eventually I met Rolly's crew, um, his uh, mobile DJ crew, Intrabase Productions, and I was around them a lot. And so then came the part where I just started DJing 
but never having my own equipment, you know, like I had one turntable, another friend would loan me his turntable and I had no mixer, like I had nothing. And I, I, this was also around the time my dad died too. And, um, my dad, before he died, he kept talking about like this wooden mixer. It was like an old wooden CM607. And I had no idea what he was talking about. He was just always looking for it. And then he was hospitalized because he had cancer. And um, when I found it in an attic, it became a sign to me that I was meant to really be a DJ. And that sign was like, oh, shit, I should really take this serious. Because <laughs> my, my dad died right when I found it. Mm. Um, and it became like a, uh. like a sign that I needed to DJ and take it serious. So I used that mixer to learn how to scratch, too. And it was like the toughest uh. fader <laughs> ever. Like, it, it would take like some kind of machine to move it to the other side but i was learning how to cut on it and then that was actually a really great thing because it it gave me finger strength or some sort you know <laughs> it was one of those things um but yeah that's how i pretty much got into it been around um a lot of djs but i didn't really think i was I was going to be a DJ because I was too much of the partier, get drunk, get high kind of thing at all the clubs, all the parties, and was just writing rhymes and thought I'd be an MC. And then eventually um, I just got mesmerized watching the DJs and fell in love with it. And um, I started learning how to mix and uh, do parties, doing the weddings, all of that stuff. I, I started off doing weddings, sweet 16s, doing the clubs. Next thing you know, um, Roly started competing <clears throat> and mm. I was like, I want to do that too, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. Right. But I didn't feel like people were going to take me serious sometimes just because it was one of those things um, where as a woman, although no one ever said it, it, it felt that way. It felt like no one was going to take me serious that I was going to learn. And so I kind of, really laid low whenever the crew and or the fifth platoon guys would gather together to practice and we would hang out with the executioners and we would be at Neil's house, DJ Neil Armstrong's house, and they'd be cutting and practicing and everything that they were doing. I would try to start doing what they're doing. <laughs> and, um, and then I would go home to the one turntable that wasn't mine, the other turntable that was also someone else, and that wooden mixer that I, that I found. And I would try to cut on that mixer or do some beat juggles. Um, you know, Roly and I exchanged a lot. He taught me a lot um, on how to make um, beat patterns in its early stages. And um, I figured out the swing pattern on my own. And then the flare scratch, when that, when the double click flare, like back then, again, Shorty's absolutely speaking this truth where we didn't have YouTubes. We didn't have these kind of like places to learn. And so I just rewinded Hubert's tapes over and over and over <laughs> to figure out scratch patterns all the time. And that's how I figured out the double click flare, to flare you know, and just 
keep on doing it. I was actually on the phone with my, my little brother who I call him TJ fat fingers. You know, I was on the phone with him when me and him discovered that I was doing it. And I was like, oh, shit, I figured it out, you know, like it was some secret, which it kind of was in a lot of ways. Cause you have to remember back then East and West coast, they always said back then in the nineties had different styles, but that's because YouTube didn't exist to kind of transcend, um, uh, different styles across globally. So I picked it up and next thing you know, I just started practicing different cuts and Neil, Neil, who was one of the few that also learned the cuts in the East Coast, along with um, DJ Doughboy, who we, who mm. Neil discovered, um, was in Cornell. And um, the three of us were the few in New York City that could cut. And, um, and then Rob Swift. And so I was just learning how to crab and cut, listening to Kubert's tapes over and over and over and over. <laughs> That's pretty much my story. And I, I came out in the open that I was learning after two years. I wow. laid over two years quietly, not telling anybody, and did the very first table turn show at the open turntables mm, at the wow. Great Poetry Cafe. Everybody was there because it was the first show. Apollo, I remember this day, Apollo. Shout to Doug. Like, everybody was there. Everybody. It was like in that small little hole, like that legendary space. It was like, I don't know, like 300 people in that crowd up space. And all the DJs were there. And um, I did, you know, a beat juggle routine. And just like you, um, Shorty, I also was blown away by DJ Symphony because she could beat juggle. So because of the video that um, Roly showed me at DJ Symphony, I was like even more inspired because she was Filipinx and I was like, I've got, I've got to do this. And there were other DJs too, like of course, Jazzy Joyce and Coco Chanel, staple New York DJs um, and Lazy K who battled. Okay. When I saw Lazy K battle, I was like, I need to battle too because she was fierce as a battle DJ. And she was like, I, I, and then it wasn't until I saw Symphony and I knew like, okay, I could do this too. And next thing <laughs> you know, I made a, a beat juggle routine and then I made a scratch set and I performed at the very first turntables, open turntable event, table turns. And that's when I came out that I was learning how to do turntable stuff. Wow. And then I entered my first battle right after that. The hell of a way to introduce yourself. <laughs> one of the most legendary known about you know birth one of the you know birthplace of the the second wave of the of the battle scene especially in new york and you know we'll just kick it up to canada real quick and talk to kayla jewel uh, you know give us a bit of your kind of learning and experience and and maybe if it was different being in canada if you anything different from even shorty and candy's experience um well, I just have to say that it's like a total honor being on the panel with um, all of these DJs that have totally inspired me since the beginning. It's crazy. Um, and I feel like Candy and Shorty, like your stories are very similar to mine in a sense that when I started, I was actually, um, I had a background in classical music and 10 years classical piano. And I was sort of, I was 17. I was going through a bit of a rough time in my life. And I met my first boyfriend who just happened to be a DJ. 
Um, and we weren't scrap. We hadn't really gotten into hip hop at that time. He was playing a lot of techno and house, drum and bass, uh, break beats. And I thought, wow, like this is so freaking cool. And I just, I needed um, an outlet to like, you know, sort of um, deal with like, you know, all the stuff as a teenager that you go through. So for me, sure. like, DJing was a way for me to sort of vent a lot of frustration. Mm. And he, he and I would literally practice. This is DJ Mana. Um, hey. Talented no. guy. He lives in Hawaii right now. That's the Mana. Um, he, he and I would practice like six hours a day for two to three years straight. <laughs> and that was like all I did after school. I would I would go back to his place. He had turntables, a mixer, and same situation. Like we were using, and I don't even remember what it was. A Gemini six two six. Like the fader was super stiff. But <laughs> you know, sometimes like working with these old school, um, you know, old old school mixers that weren't necessarily meant to scratch with, like. I feel like we gained a lot of um, experience and, and just strength and dexterity um, <laughs> with that. And I do remember specifically, like up here in Canada, there were no female DJs that I knew personally, but I had heard of Shorty and Faust and Shorty, Shorty and Candy were actually the first DJs, um, female DJs that I ever um, found out about and were like total inspirations for me um, and they sort of like you guys like totally helped me realize that I could do it too and I know it sounds super cheesy but like this is how it works you know you see somebody who totally inspires you who's been blazing a trail for so long and um, at that time it was you know I felt like, okay, I think I could, I could do this. And I felt totally inspired to, um, just to, to pick it up. So DJ Man and I only sort of started learning about hip hop in maybe 98, 99. Like we were total, you know, ravers. We would, we would party all night and it was just something we sort of fell into. Um, Man was one day, he was like, Hey, you should check out this DJ Kubert guy. Like, you know, he, he has these video turntable TV. Have you ever heard of that? I'm like, no, again, hop the VHS into the tape player. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh my God. Mind blown. <laughs> yeah. like people are putting out stuff like this. Like, yeah. shit, this is awesome. <laughs> like, what is this? And so, um, the major. Always been. I was like, okay, yo, we we have to like, you know, we have to start doing some of this, and and um, we ended up hooking up with other local DJs in the scene who were also sort of um, just getting introduced to like turntablism and the battle scene, um, P Love, and of course Ko Koala from Montreal as well um, had also, you know, he he was doing his thing at that time. Um, P. Love, who started Table Turns um, here in Montreal, he brought it up to Canada. Yeah. Um, Shouts to P. Love. He's in New York now. P. Love, he's yeah. the one that brought us up there. <laughs> yeah. 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 He definitely, um, he started that whole thing. And just like Candy, Table Turns was my first coming out party. So nice. Like, nice. 
it, it wow. really, I feel like it's really come full circle in a sense that, you know, you ladies, you know, you were doing it and then I sort of followed suit and, um, and then one day I have to tell this story because it's just mind blowing. I was scratching in my mom's basement. This is after I, you know, bought my own equipment. I was taking it really seriously. I was playing like some bars and, um, and house parties and stuff. And I'm sitting there scratching in my headphones, minding my own business. The phone rings and I answer and it was Q. And she's like, hey, are you DJ Killa Jewel? And I'm like, what? I'm, I'm literally standing here in front of my turntables. Like one of my idols is calling me right now. And um, so he was like, yeah, I'm putting together this DVD. Um, it's an instructional video called uh, Do It Yourself. Hmm. One had already come out. This is volume two. I was wondering wow. if you would want to film something, send it over. That's how that happened. That's how that happened. Literally. Wow. <laughs> I was, I, you know, it's those kinds of things that just like, you know, they just, uh, they're, they're great stories. And um, that's kind of how it all started for me. I started battling. Um, battling for me was, I guess, a way to improve my own skills. And it really forced me to like hone in on um, different techniques and stuff that I wasn't comfortable with. And like, I've never been much of a beat juggler. I've been more of a, a turntablist, like scratch DJ. So that, that also kind of uh, helped improve in those areas. And um, yeah, fast forward like 20 years later, um, I'm, I'm now become, I've become more of a music producer. And I feel like that for me has been a natural progression. Um, and definitely a, a new passion and, and love of mine. Well, and, and it's funny when you said like, it may sound cheesy and you're describing these girls, I would say it only sounds cheesy to a person with a really cold heart because <laughs> that is a, that is the beauty of our culture and hip hop itself. And, and like, we're always taught to, Oh, focus on positive things. So like, those those type of that energy is what we feed off in our culture and and quite frankly anybody that inspired by lebron james or michael michael jordan whoever it is in your life that's expi inspiring you to 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 reach in out of your comfort zone and and become more than what you are is that's a gift and we we've even on other episodes we've talked about guys that have never met before that were on our on the show here and they're like yeah i used to watch your videos all the time trays to get inspired to go do a Red Bull battle, you know, or whatever it is. And it's like, and they didn't even know. And, and then here, this person, Delta, shout out Delta in Italy, was like, became somebody, we're all watching their videos. And he was like, yeah, I was watching his videos to make my videos. And it's it just, that's the beauty and how it all goes full circle. And, you know, we're, we're, we're just really fortunate to, to all do something we love and, and share. And like, that's the, the whole beauty of DJing is you want to share it. You want to, you want people to, I don't care, anybody that like wants to just stay underground and that not share their art with anybody is, it's a unique individual in itself, I guess. But I think we all want to spread our art, spread the love. And, you know, um, I, I want to, let's kick it over to Rye Toast. Um, give us a little your, of your background. I know personally, last few years at NAM, you've just been everywhere, like every showcase, just blowing it up and just, just really impressed with 
with your skills and your stage presence and give us give us some of your your story and background thank you yes um those have been really great stories to listen to and i can relate to so many elements of each one um i got into djing through an extreme love of hip-hop music ever since i was a kid and um I went to school at the University of Vermont. Okay. Really, really close to Jewel. And um, there was this little concert venue there that a lot of big acts used to go to because it was in between Boston and Montreal. So you got to see like Wu-Tang Clan and like dope shit like that in like this ah. cafe. So I was at that venue. I had a fake ID. I was there almost every night of the week. I <laughs> I always bought whatever records were being sold. I went to every single hip hop show and any other show I could get into. And um, and then I went to see DJ Spooky. And oh, wow. Wow. I haven't heard that name in a while. Shouts to Spooky. Yeah. yeah. Fucking back. Actually, my roommate was like, yo, we should go yeah, see dude. So I was like, sure, I'm always down for a show. Let's go. So we went early and who was playing, who was opening for Spooky, the coup. So that was the first time I ever saw Pan the Funkster. Yes! Mm. Wow. That was the first time I ever saw any female. Rest in peace. Wow. Rest in peace, purple Pan. And I mean, when she whipped her titty out and like pulled <laughs> off a fucking record and scratched, I was like, holy shit, this is a job? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I bought myself turntables like a month after that. And um, wow. just was like, I, I lived in, uh, I turned 21 and I bought them for my 21st birthday. And I had no idea what I was doing. So I, I got like the turntables and a mixer for 500 bucks. Actually, they're still, the turntables are still the one I use. And um, yo, they're from Burlington. So they have like A-Dog stickers all over them and like, <laughs> Yeah, and I kept them Burton shit. Um, <laughs> so I go home and I'm like, okay, I have my turntables, I have my mixer, but I, I had no records. So I went out to get records and then I went home and I was like, oh shit, I don't have speakers. So I went out and got speakers. Then I got home and I was like, oh shit, I need needles. So it was like, it's a rabbit hole, yeah. <laughs> it was a rabbit hole and the expenses kept adding up, but I was like, fuck it, I'm in so deep. I've got to keep going. <laughs> So, and I lived with um, my roommate who was like really all in with MCing at the time. So like we were just always together throwing parties and I'd be DJing, rapping and I could not DJ at all, but I just was like trying to figure it out and no one really cared because it was college and we were all drunk. <laughs> and, um, yeah, living so your best life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not long after that, I, I ended up, I met and fell in love with a DJ. And his name is Fatty B. I don't know, uh, Jewel, you might remember his name or whatever, but he knew who you were, actually. He was a big fan of yours, and I was low-key jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know about that. But you're really cool, so it's okay. Like, we're cool. <laughs> it was funny because uh, when I started dating him, I actually, like, trying to DJ and I like let that go because I just felt kind of like kind of like what you were saying Candy. like I just felt weird 
trying to learn in front of someone who was already established and already kind of had their thing going. So I was like, fuck it, I'm not even going to try, which is really dumb. And I would not suggest doing that to anybody, but I was young. Um, so actually, but, but I, I ended up working in a lot of bars and being around and listening great DJs all the time. Like I was at all, almost all of DJ A-Dog's sets and his stuff, like I still have some of his records and some of his blends and transitions and cuts that he got ingrained in my mind, even though I wasn't even touching turntables. And very um, important to have the, those experiences. The listening and the environment. And, and like for me, I'd be bartending or cocktail waitressing, but seeing how the songs hit people seeing what worked and what didn't and so it, it felt like part of my education even though like looking back on it I know it made an impression on me even though I wasn't like really trying to DJ um osmosis huh <laughs> learn you learn by osmosis definitely definitely um so then I I got a wild hair at my ass to move to San Francisco actually I think Neil Armstrong had to do with it because <laughs> He was, he, I was getting all his mixtapes and he was putting out mixtapes by awesome. other people like, like Vin Rock and like the triple. Yep. Shouts to Vin Rock. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, what is, yeah. going, yeah. what is going on out in the Bay? Like, it just sounds juicy out there. And like, you <laughs> sure I put out both the whistle and the hypey movement was happening. And I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to go. <laughs> and, um, oh, I, me and that dude ended up breaking up. He cheated on me. And I was like, I mean, my fucking turntables and my <laughs> fucking talk to me again. I'm a DJ now. And that's like when I, <laughs> I didn't even go for it. Yeah. And in your face, <laughs> dude. Oh, yeah. you know, you know, something that jumped out to me is, is I love the fact that you have like this specific moment where you saw it and you were just like, that's it. That's yeah. And, and like the job. Well, and not only that, but it's like, you know how many people in life just go through and never have that moment ever in anything? Yeah. Seriously. Like, that something grabs them like that to be like, my life has been altered today in a way that is going to never, never be the same again in a positive way. That's the beauty. Of course. If you allow yourself to feel it and go through it and really take accountability for the actions that you played in that, like, like I felt bad, I, I knew I was fucking up by not trying to DJ that whole time. Like that's why I was kind of jealous, I think, of Killa Jewel, cause she was DJing and I like, I wanted to be DJing, but I wasn't. So that was like my issue, you know? Mm. Once um once all that happened and I had the rage of like a scorned woman, I, I had so much motivation. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the universe is, that's, jealousy is the way the universe shows you that that's something that you should be doing. Mm. And, and oh, I know so Rai true. is woo-woo with me. We're both, we, we're, we're hip on the woo. And oh, the yeah. universe <laughs> is telling you, get on those turntables, stop hanging out with that dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's okay, he's a douche. You're a douche, dude. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> now when i feel that type of feeling i'll sit there and i'll look at it and be like oh yeah that's my shit okay <laughs> um yeah so i have like a great um kind of you know starting to dj in the bay area there's so many good djs there and it was a really dope scene to come up in um 
and like just get really inspired. I still am super inspired by um, a lot of the DJs from the Bay. And um, after a few years there, I think about seven, eight years there, I just felt like trying a bigger city. So I moved down to Los Angeles and that's when I started DJing in a group. Tyrone's Jacket is the name of it. That that really prompted me to start studying turntablism because I went from just DJing, I went from DJing and like, you know, creating a vibe and rocking a party to like being on stage with like a really dope MC and guitar player. And I'm like, with my turntables, I'm like, I need to be, I need to like understand more of like this animal that I'm standing behind. So it really like, now I just feel more in love with DJing than ever and learning more all the time and just feeling like I can be more creative with more tools in my arsenal. And I love it. That's dope, man. That's a that's a great story. I I think we um, you know, we're we're all we all have in some degree an aha moment. But it's cool to cool to see you know, especially the three of you ladies, um, four of you ladies, all kind of have this really pivotal moment. And I'm gonna take it over to Eliza because I know you know you even in your bio you talk about how heavily you were influenced by ID. And you know most people know. Isaac was a teacher at Beat Refinery. He also worked at Scratch Academy. Um, you know, he wrote some of our first curriculums with us. I mean, Isaac and I go back to when he was probably like 11, 12 years old coming to the record store that I that I ran in D.C. And, you know, I remember. I met him when he was 14. <laughs> I met him when he was 13. <laughs> I mean, he was he was already that little kid that that was just wowing everybody with his love and knowledge of of DJing at a young age and and when I remember when he told me when he was living down in Miami that he had this student this girl she's insane and he was telling me about you way before I ever met you and you know so I'm not I would like to hear kind of from you is how did you get into DJing how did you meet with um, Isaac with ID and how how did that kind of transpire into your career. Well, I guess I'm going to start from the very beginning. Sure. Uh, I was in music from my childhood. I finished music school, piano department, same as Kira Joel. And, um, but I, in the opposite of cutting candy, I've never uh, been uh, a party girl. And I grew up in a very small city, 50,000 people. And we only had one nightclub. Plus, on top of that, my parents are pretty strict, so I never even seen a DJ until I was uh, like 17 or 18 years old. Wow. Um, in, at university, uh, I was working on a radio station, but I was just turning music on and off and uh, um, doing some like, commercial breaks. But that time I saw advertisement about DJ courses, and I thought it was about radio DJing. So yes. I decided to go and check it out. But it appeared to be about club DJs, club teaching, and at the time I knew nothing about it. I couldn't differ genres from one another. I didn't know what DJs do. So it was like one of my first time ever seeing a DJ. And I'm like, okay, I'm on a vacation break, so maybe I just should stay and learn something new because like I always were learning uh, new things. Mm-hmm. So, Okay, why not uh, acquire a new skill? And 
just one pin led to each other, another, and um, I liked it. Got my first residency a few months later and decided that I want to know more. So for my holidays, I went to Moscow, signed up for another DJ school. And there I saw turntable for the first time. I know it sounds like very a beam of light like i know many of you like grow up with tables but i've never seen them no no <laughs> yeah, we get it, we get it. <laughs> there i started to learn how to mix on vinyl but i didn't know about scratching i didn't know anything about scratching so after like six months of practicing DJing, I felt that I was uh, good enough to uh, be at DJ competition in Russia. It was uh, in Moscow, Delphi Games, and um, you it's like one person representing a city. So I went to represent my city. I like totally failed. I just was mixing and uh, had no idea that DJ can do anything else except of mixing. But there I saw scratching for the first time and I saw you just doing tricks and juggling and I was like wow what is that I want to learn yeah so I did some research I actually the guy who won that year I asked him to give me a couple of lessons to show me everything he was doing at the competition so he helped me a lot like next year I already came back to this competition and I placed second and um, it just, uh, I got like really into it and I realized that like I want to scratch. Uh, I signed up for DigiCubers online university. Oh. That was like my first time uh, hearing about DigiCubers. Mm -hmm. It's like a lot of first, <laughs> first times for me. And um, yeah, I just was practicing a lot. I, I, I remember I had these boards with uh, all the names of different scratches and I would just practice each of them. At, at, the, at first it was super hard for me to improvise. I would just do one scratch after another and uh, I never even, like I never thought that I'll be able to start improvise finally one day. It was like really hard for me to actually learn improvising. So if anyone's struggling with improvising, you just have to like keep going, have to practice, 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 and you'll get there. And um, yeah, and I was uh, graduating university, and my parents uh, gifted me a trip to the U.S. And I said I want to go to San Francisco. I said I want to meet DJ Kubert, and my parents were like, "Oh, you're crazy!" Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I just messaged DJ Kubert on Facebook. And I told him that I'm going to San Francisco and I would like to uh, have a few lessons from him. And I told him that I'm at his university. He's like, of course, uh, just stop by the office and uh, um, like, just like that. He was like, you're my student, so stop by the office anytime. So I came to San Bruno, their office um, for Milbrae. Well, I was staying in San Bruno. And uh, I came to the office, everyone was super, super friendly. So I meet everyone uh, the first day and DJ Kubert would be coming to the office like once, like three times per week probably and showing me, showing me new scratches, showing me combos. And they just, 
let me stay there all day long and practice. And I would just uh, come for a whole day and practice six hours straight. I don't know how, how they survived with me because I didn't, I haven't even been using headphones. It was all in the <laughs> I guess they used They heard every misclick, every just <laughs> bad hand move, no so pressure. So annoying. And for, for a couple of months, like for, I was just going there and practicing for six hours straight and uh, doing pretty much nothing else. Uh, at that time, they also took me to NAM show with them, and that's where I saw Shorty with Faust for the first time. And uh, I never been into shows like that, like ever wow. in my life. So it was like life changing for me. But uh, my trip was about to be over, and I really wanted to check out Miami. And um, I was uh, already knowing about uh, DJ D, about Isaac. I saw his, a couple of his routines and uh, like I was like really in love with his routines. So I messaged him on Instagram and like same way as it happened like with DJ Hubert, I just asked for to teach me. <laughs> but like Hubert was teaching me scratching and ID, I was, uh, um, I wanted to learn beat juggling from him. Mm. Yeah. Like, I feel like, like yeah, one of the best in the world, definitely. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to have Vijak uh, skills from ID, so I just messaged him and went there, and I went to I was staying in Miami for like a month and a half. But also, then I just um, arrived to the US. I weren't um, even like speaking English very well. Like I was even scared scared to say hello. So it was, but. Everyone was so, so friendly and so warm that I never really felt like I'm not home, you know? Uh, from mm. the very first day in the US, I felt like I'm home. Oh, that's great. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, but of course my English like is still not very good right now, but back then it was uh, very, very bad. So I came back home. Oh, you're fine. You're, you're, yeah, you're, you're crushing it. You're better than our Russian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Your English is way better than my my Russian. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. Privet, privet. <laughs> and I came back to Russia and I started to watch a lot of uh, movies and TV shows in English, and that's what helped me a lot to understand because I wouldn't wouldn't even understand a lot. And next time I came back to the US, I already was I already understood what people were saying. So, again, another tip with someone learning a language uh, that watching movies and um, TV shows very, really, really help. Mm. Um, I got to commend you for learning. Literally, in my mind, you lead, that whole thing leads up to you. You are in the States learning two languages. You're mm -hmm. learning English and you're learning scratch, like, you know, sound. You know, like we know that music is a language, you know, we don't have to say anything. You get DJs in a room, you know, you start playing records, start cutting. No one has to open their mouth. The vibes are there. So that's amazing. Hey, Ara, can you do that combo that goes? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you missed the chicken about. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. You know. 
That's mad real, though. And I actually, Art, you beat me to the punch on that point. But there's something else that I think is really interesting. And in, in every conversation with Scratch DJs, all the ladies here represent something in that that is very specific that needs to be pointed out to a lot of the younger DJs. There's a point where you have to really put yourself out of your comfort zone. And it often turns into traveling to another city to link up with other djs who are more experienced than you because you don't know where else to go to learn and i think there's a certain like local or regional bubble that people can easily fall into in nightlife and just djing in general where if you don't push yourself to be uncomfortable for a little bit you're not going to have those accidental run-ins at nam or a random uh, facebook message that turns into a, a chance to meet and link with qbert or everybody looking to cutting candy and shorty and saying like those are the people that i want to have access to and learn from and then having that opportunity to really connect i think that's something that all the djs watching this should really take home with them yeah man sure i think uh, i was just wanting to piggyback on that taking risks in everything you do so just like you're talking about you're talking about more like networking or like getting out of your local scene or whatever to the which is like outside of a fish out of water and stuff but even in practice you know like taking risks i know a lot of people won't try try what they're doing what they're practicing out right because they just want to like no i gotta perfect it before anyone sees it right and right, one right. of the things that i learned early on is don't do that <laughs> just <laughs> it, cause, because so, and no matter how much you perfect it it's still different lives so if you pr mm. also Keep your, it's like a way, it's a, another way of practicing. So do, take risks live. Do things that aren't like, that maybe you just worked on, maybe you just learned this new scratch, try it out. You know, I mean, right. and it, it's, and you might get a happy accident too. You might not do it perfect, but something else cool will come out of it. Or That's whatever. true too. But it, it gets you comfortable doing stuff in front of people in a risky situation already. It's already risky when you prepared it, but if right. you're like improvising, for example, improvising, scratching, just go for it. Take I take so many risks and not everything lands, but it's so much more rewarding for me because those risks lead to things that I never could have done if I had planned every single thing in that, you know. Happy experiment. accidents, guys. Happy right, effort. right, the happy accident, right. So. That's a great, I just wanted to piggy on back on mm. that because that's a great um, teachable moment is just yeah. take risks um, and, and everything, you know, calculated risks, like don't just show your ass, but, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, don't be afraid to, What's because up? we're all learning. Always have a backup to that risk too. Yeah. <laughs> we all yeah. learn from each other too. So it's just like, if, if you just start thinking of, oh, this is a, a collective group experience effort and we're all part of everything's everything everything's connected uh so don't be afraid to take risks because you will get greater rewards when you do that rather than staying in what's safe whether it be networking or your craft or your everything in between yeah, for sure and i think that's definitely something like throughout this conversation now that everybody's sort of spoken and, and we know where everyone's coming from, that's definitely a, a common thread throughout is that um, we've all taken these kinds of calculated risks and um, stepped out of our comfort zones and challenged ourselves um, creatively and professionally and personally, you know, moving to a different country is not 
an easy choice to make sometimes, and especially not knowing the language. Um, but yeah, like I, definitely, I think um, if anyone's listening and if anybody's afraid to like, you know, start DJing or try try something new, like sometimes you just have to jump off the deep end and see what happens. That's Indeed. great advice. And I think I think what I I wanted to ask Candy, um, especially from when you were you know, there was maybe one or two other female DJs battling in, in those in those era of the mid nineties, early um just the augmentation of, of battling becoming like such a heavily item in the hip hop culture. And what first quickly do you would you back then did you prefer showcasing or battling? Like which one did you get more excited for? Um battling. I loved it. I still love it now. I pay attention. I don't nope. battle anymore, but I pay attention. Um, I watch everybody's routines. I still learn. I learn from all the DJs heroes who are still doing it. Turntablist or battle DJs. Um, I think that uh, there was something about battling that was exciting for me. You know, and it's funny because I'm not much of a, like in the poetry world, everyone's like, why don't you do slams? Because you do poetry. And I'm like, because mm. I don't do slams. I'm more of a, <laughs> <laughs> it was very like, I just couldn't do slams. Um, and something about the time constraints with slams too, like the, I just couldn't do it. You know, I'm a very wordy person. And <laughs> so doing words in poetry was another area that, of time constraints, not like DJing that get it under like you're doing a battle back to back head to head battle 90 seconds different things than a, than a three minute 90 second poem <laughs> but i think like with something about about battle djing that i loved a lot um just the feel and the respect and it's a very hip-hop thing to do like it's yes. all about that cypher that style that like that grit that you get that I've mm. learned from a lot of, uh, and I was very much heavily involved and participating in a lot of the breaking scene back then. So I saw a lot of that, you know, and, and, and I was always like, I was always in all the scenes, MCs, the battle MC scenes, you know, so I loved the battle and there's still respect in the mm. battle. And mm -hmm. so for me, um, there was something about just, feeling that and I didn't really have any idea how much impact that would make even till now like I just knew that I never even back then saw it as like okay I'm this woman DJ and I'm I just felt like I want to make a mark and just do it as a DJ and it wasn't until other women DJs were coming up to me or just women in general that I realized uh what a huge kind of pressure it was in a lot of ways. I remember the year when people were telling me, oh, you're gonna win the DMC USA. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, I was very hard critic on myself. I'm like, there's a way better DJs than me. That's you the know? art in you, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm studying everyone's techniques and styles and how clean they were, you know what I mean? And I didn't feel like I was clean enough as a DJ. I just knew I wanted to compete because it was fun as hell. Like, it was just fun. It was fun. Yeah. And uh, some of the, my best battles were never filmed. Were never filmed. Mm -hmm. Like, one of my favorite battles is with DJ Spectacular. You know? Uh, battled him yeah. in a head-to-head -head round. 
And I talk about it till this day because it was so much fun. My other favorite battle was battling Roly when we mm. went to head to head and I won, which is I've heard that story. Take that. I beat Roly, <laughs> and and I remember that year too because Jeru the Jamager was hosting, and then he Ooh, found yeah. out that me and him were boyfriend and girlfriend that we were partners and then he was like what what Jiru like your mind was blown you just beat your man and I was like you know and to be honest forever (laughs) and to be fair it was all about what you were gonna pull out you know I just played it smart against Roly and I pulled out you know, my routine, I had to strategize because I knew his set. He knew my set. I had to strategize what would win his set, mm-hmm. you know? So like, you know, these are things that like something about the battle scene gave me um, that I didn't quite get in other spaces, but I still loved it. I still loved DJing at a party and a glove. I, I love DJing at bars. I still love that feel. Same thing even with wedding DJs. I love hosting a wedding DJ. I love being in the mic and being like, yeah, let's go there, you know? Like, I love doing that, but there's, the, battle DJing was another thing, and it was exciting to me. It was, it was very hip-hop style, all about, all about that, like, yo, I'm going to call you out on your stuff, and we're going to get to it, and then I'm just going to beat you, but we're still friends. We're still good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, well, let's go quickly around to everybody with just a quick answer um, without too much explanation, but enough to, to let us know. But we want to know from everybody, Rapid fire. Uh, what's, uh, what's one one thing you're learning or, or putting some focus on during quarantine in your musical repertoire? It could be anything. It doesn't have to necessarily even or be not music. You know? yeah, or, yeah, just something, something that you've been focusing your energy on. Um, you know, let's start with Killer Jewel. Um, I have taken this opportunity, and um, I realized after you know all of my shows were canceled that I needed to upgrade my entire studio so I could start like live streaming. So <laughs> I've literally spent the last like four months trying to figure it out. Um, so that's one. And number two is uh, taking the opportunity to work on my live set. So since I just released my EP, my dream has mm. always been to get on stage and perform my own music live. Dope. What's, your, what's the EP? Um, the EP is called Reckless. Uh-huh. Um, I, it was released in June and um, features some amazing artists, uh, which Chris mentioned um, earlier. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's my, it's my first attempt at producing, um, for other artists and collaborating with them to have them feature, um, on my stuff. And like, I'm, I'm super excited about it and also a little nervous cause I'm singing on it. So like, that's also something that, yeah. you know, I got the, the microphone back here. So I've been, I've been practicing that and, um, hopefully one of these days I'll get to share it with you guys so yes yeah. looking forward to it right, let's let's go to rye you're muted <laughs> there you go I'm typing to jewel i need to check out your ep <laughs> um what have i been working on oh wait what did i just do oh you're good oh, okay okay we, we, we can hear you um, 
I've been working on my whole fucking life. Basically, anything that I find myself avoiding in regular life, I've been like dealing with in quarantine. <laughs> so that covers a lot. It's like fluttering my whole home, cleaning out my computers, my music library. Um, and as far as DJing is concerned, one thing I realized was pre-quarantine, I was caught up in a lot of work and business and engagements that I wasn't really passionate about. Mm. And I was just doing and doing and doing because I just was in the flow of that and saying yes and, and just, you know, getting it done. And um, since being in quarantine, it's music has really helped me a lot during this time. And so I feel a lot more reconnected with why I got into DJing and how powerful music really can be. And it's not just about getting people to, to like, you know, get lit or whatever. <laughs> like, um, that's one cool thing you can do, but there's so much you can do with it. And um, so I'm really focused on only booking myself things that either, you know, fucking had my bank account or that I'm really fucking into like is because I'm into both of those things so that works for me um and only playing music that I really really fucking stand behind that's what's up yeah I've, I've been here that's a theme for a lot of DJs that we've been hearing is you know not trying to do the gigs that that bring you almost bring you down or make you not want to be there. And, and, and certainly everybody like Candy's saying, we all love the wedding gigs. We love, we love any, any of these higher we profile. Don't the, we don't love the wedding gigs. Not everyone loves not wedding gigs. <laughs> I like the paycheck. Candy, who I'm, I guess I'm pointing to her down there. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a special person. I just wanted to say that. No doubt. Well, I think we all enjoy, we all enjoy those kind of gigs that pay us, Yes. what we feel we're worth we'll yeah. just say that the pad the bank account like right yeah yeah you feel like your yeah. work is appreciated and yeah energy exchange of money is one way to quantify that so yes. that's if it feeds my bank account great but if it feeds my soul that's great too. exactly exactly well ultimately what i'm looking for is something is things that do both and making decisions on work based on fear, you know, that wasn't getting me closer to that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, now I'm just kind of starting to get back out there again, but I'm just being a lot more picky with where I place my energy and, and my skills. That's what's up. Eliza, what's up with you? What have you been working on? What school did you go to? Who did you call to go learn some? Other, other than the dope uh, ex exotic right now. during quarantine, yes. Well, I'm just the kind of person that really like to study, I guess. So as soon as quarantine started, I just decided that I want to do all the things I never had time to do. So I signed up for a bunch of courses on Instagram, marketing, photography, working out, self-development. So I had like zero minutes <laughs> available to even think about quarantine. <laughs> That's good. You kept yourself busy. That's good, clearly. And uh, I never really had time to focus on any of that before, so it's been like amazing for me to uh, learn a lot of new things. And I'm also working on my EP. Um, it's uh, it's uh, going to be four tracks, 
with four different vocalists. Uh, so I'm super excited and I shot my first music video that's going to be on nice. the 23rd, uh, 23rd of this month. And um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of uh, creativity, a lot of uh, art, a lot of new skills. And um, yeah, I can definitely say that um, I'm grateful for this time to do all the things that I needed to do and wanted to do for a long time. Definitely sound like you've been busy and using your time wisely. <laughs> and what's the name for your EP, Eliza? Emotions. 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 All right. I'm going to check for that too. Yeah, it's def uh, it's definitely um, in a little bit of a new genre for me because I used to produce just uh, club, uh, club tracks like are shaking tracks, but right now I'm focusing more on uh, like inner world, on self-development, and that's why I'm working with uh, vocalists, and uh, uh, when they write lyrics, I ask them to um, just like spill their soul, you know, and uh, get like everything out, so it's like very emotional, I don't even know if it's the correct word. It's on brand, that's perfect. <laughs> but, yeah, that's Shorty, what's up? What about you? Oh, man. So, well, before quarantine, <laughs> um, I had already been working towards this goal that I'm going to explain. Um, but once quarantine hit, it was like, oh, cool. <laughs> in a way, not in that way, but just like, <laughs> I, I don't have any gigs now, so I have no more excuses, <laughs> right? And uh, so... We touched on this a little bit. I've been teaching since 1997, so I've been teaching for a very long time. Um, and I've taught online courses. I have 22 online courses. I've been a head professor at the Scratch DJ Academy for four years. I've taught at the Beat Junkies. I've taught for Grammy. I've taught at Berkeley. You know, so I've done the circuit. I haven't taught at Beat Refinery, but that's a... And I just got to go home to do that because I'm from D.C., right? So <laughs> um, I'll just come home once I can come start visit. flying again. Always welcome. <laughs> Uh, but I've, I've, I've taught at a lot of, you know, accredited places and um, released my, I've wrote a, written a book, you know, I had a, the a DVD series. So I've done all these things and also private coaching. Um, but before uh, COVID, my private coaching practice was about 80% in person where they would come here to my studio. Rye was one of them. Uh, she, people would come here to the studio and be one-on-one -on -one lessons. Um, or uh, online, about 20%. And before COVID hit, I was already trying to figure out, okay, lighting, how do I light? Here, I'll even show you. How do I light the turntables and myself at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so, and have multiple, you know, uh, screens with, um, let's see, you know, so you could see the close-up. Oh, that camera's not on right now. But anyway, the point is getting all my cameras together um, I have multiple cameras. I got the over and trying to make it be like you're in the room with me when we're doing the online experience. So because that's always been like, ah, I'd rather just take lessons with you in person. But then you got to be in L.A. where I live. Right. And it, so I wasn't able to serve all the people I wanted to serve. And one on one coaching, I should say, is my favorite way to teach uh, because Indeed. we can get on a level that you can't get in a group class. 
Yeah. Um, in a group class, uh, you guys are teachers, you know, you got to keep everyone sort of in the same plane, uh, but you can't spend too much attention on one or the other. And you definitely can't dig into, you don't have time to dig into mindset or blockages. Yeah, look at this. I'm or, just, you know, what's yeah. holding you back. And that is like so much of people's roadblock to success. Mm -hmm. Whereas sure. in the one on one coaching, and you definitely can't do that with pre recorded videos. I mean, you could, you know, lecture to people but it's not like personal it's a relationship when you get into a one-on-one -on -one coaching experience and it gets really really personal and so that's my favorite way to teach because it, we really get to the meat of the issue that's holding you back sometimes we'll spend a whole lesson like barely scratching rhinos and just talking about the crap that's just blocking you and all these mindset blocks and limiting beliefs and stuff but then that is a lesson that's a breakthrough and then after that, it's just like, she's smiling right now because she knows she's been there. I had students crying, you know, just because they just need to let it out. And that is something you can't get in a class experience, a group sure. experience or a, a, a video experience. So before COVID, I was trying to get it so I could do more online lessons. And I got the technology right, like right before COVID hit. So I, I could hit the ground running, which I'm very, very grateful for. And so then when I had to shut down the in-person practice, then that's when I really, really have been, you're talking about projects that you've been working on. I've been really working on building this online coaching practice. And now I have students from all over the world and that's really great. And it's been financially great because um, as we all know, we all lost all our gigs. And before COVID, my ratio of like DJing was still my bread and butter of money, even though I've been teaching all these years, it's been a nice side hustle. But and, and something I'm super passionate about and actually more passionate about than DJing. But financially, the DJing was still the main bread and butter, you know, financial yeah, yeah. money coming in. So when everything dropped, I was like, OK, time to like, you know, I can finally put my full focus on this. So in doing that, also one of my dreams has been to do an interactive coaching program online. Um, and it's something that I've participated in, not with DJing, but with um, like uh, Eliza was talking about, you know, marketing courses, online courses, business courses. Like I am an online course junkie. Like I take all these courses and some of the best ones are interactive where you have the pre-recorded content, but then you also got the Q and A's every week and you got that interaction with the coach or the teacher and you can get actual feedback you know, that you can't normally get on a pre-recorded online course or even sometimes on a membership. So this whole quarantine, I've been working on two uh, interactive coaching programs that are ones for mixing and ones for uh, scratching that I've been working towards for years. But now I finally, because there's no gigs, I'm like, OK, I got my blinders on. I just get in my creation cave. And you might not see me on social media for a month, <laughs> but I'm working my butt off on these on these uh, interactive coaching programs. And I'm really excited about them. I'm hoping to launch the first one towards the beginning of next year. And then the next one, which will be the scratching one uh, a few months later. And then they're just going to be ongoing. So you can jump in at any time. You have the pre-recorded content, but then you also got that interaction with me. And in the hot seat coaching, it's, it's like a private coaching experience in which we can dig deeper. Uh, so it's like that merger of one-on-one -on -one coaching with the pre-recorded 
and also the group experience because community is still important community you don't get with yeah. the one-on-one -on -one coaching that's Perfect. the main reason why i suggest all my students also take a class you know because you want to meet the people you want to get in that environment that you just don't get with one-on-one -on -one coaching so there's good and good things on both on both sides totally <laughs> um, but good things on both sides of the issue and so this is kind of like my dream is to like merge the best of everything in an online space to serve the most amount of people and also it's what i'm most passionate at this time so i still work on music i still practice my scratching all the time and that's the other thing i've been just like nerding out on scratching because uh, i'll always do that um, but my main projects right now are those teaching endeavors the online coaching one-on-one -on -one, and then also the interactive coaching programs awesome and let's let's wrap up this segment with with candy i know you you've been just from when we were reading what you've been doing give us more on like how you've been spending your energy musically and also probably i'm guessing in the community just on the front line yeah um you know i I don't know if y'all know. I always try to say I'm retired, you know, like all the time. But You're never gonna always, retire. <laughs> <laughs> everyone always tries to get me to DJ, so of course, <laughs> um, people will ask me to DJ, and I'm like, oh, dang! Now I gotta go out there. I gotta do this. So you know, I mean, I, I when people call me to, that's when I'll do it. I don't actively say, hey, get me on your set. It's not because my life is so different now as a parent, um, as an mm. educator. Um, my work is organizing work. I've co-founded multiple organizations here locally in San Diego, where I now reside, in Kumie. And um, I work like 60 hours a week, you know? My organizing work um, takes up my life. But I love to still be creative. That's why I watch all the everyone sets i get so it's like i reminisce you know like when i used to compete and i love watching everyone's videos um jordy i always watch your sets um you know all the time your, your scratch sessions your um your little short videos i watched jewel like i already knew you got something coming out so i was excited to try to support that like i pay attention all the time it's never a time where I don't know what someone's doing already. Um, but does that mean I'll, I'll go back to competing or, you know, <laughs> being out there in the full front? I don't know. I never say never. I never say never. That's, let me say that. But my life is just so different as uh, what I'm dedicated to right now um, in my life currently as an organizer, as a full-time organizer. It's what I do. And so for me, uh, it's 24 every minute you know, I mean, something is happening. We're in a crisis here, you know? When COVID-19 hit, we, you know, here and locally, we had to look out for our people in our community. So me and so our co-founders, we started um, we started a mutual aid group. And then um, I've been doing political ed series too, workshops nationally, when, especially when anti-Asian racism was escalating when COVID-19 first emerged too. So I had to mm -hmm. do me and my colleague, Greg Sandana, we started town halls. And next thing you know, we started a university. And next thing you know, like, it was just a lot of stuff. And then on top of that, you know, I'm also part of, I co-founded a bail fund group two years ago. So we're bailing out our activists out in the front lines. You wow. know what I mean? So 
this is the work. I mean, to protect our communities and as an artist, um, you know, hip hop always taught me about organizing. You know, mm -hmm. I, I will never forget those lessons from a lot of the pioneers um, in my life who influenced that greatly for me and always to give back to the community um, and understanding my place and my role as an Asian person in a lineage of hip hop culture rooted in black culture and history was very, very important for me. Um, how do I show up in solidarity? And uh, for me as an organizer, that's where I've committed my life to. Um, and I still do music. So of course, you know, I, when students will ask me to DJ, I, I force myself to, you know, <laughs> our graduation party for the students that I had the summer course, I taught six, a course with, uh, at UC Davis for six uh, weeks, summer seminar course, all on social justice and organizing. And it was three days a week for like three hours, three days a week on top of my organizing work. And um, students are like, okay, now all the instructors got to perform. And I'm like, what? No, don't do this to me. <laughs> my rusty ass, y'all going to put me up on a set. No, so it forces me. Even when we did our fifth platoon reunion a year ago, all of us in our crew were like, oh, hell no, we're rusty, you know? And But it's, <laughs> It's so much joy. It really is. Like, I love, I still love doing it. I still have my setup. I still practice when I can and um, just enjoy watching everybody now, this generation. This generation brings me joy. Not, not with the wooden mixer. Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, that night in New York, was, wasn't that the first time you've been back to New York in years? Um, was it something yeah, like that? Well, at least a couple of years. Like the last time I was there was 2013. So like, it, it could couple of, like maybe four years. At okay, it's it it has been it had been a while. You you try to I, I remember something. You just you know if you don't have to go, it's it's not a thing. I really don't want to go there, especially during the winter. I told my mom because yeah. my mom and my sister still live out there, and I'm like you don't, you're not bringing me here during for the holidays. Yeah. <laughs> I am not a winter person anymore. You know, yes. I'm just really not. So <laughs> I I'm I'm very used to the sun, seventy degree weather every day. You've been April. spoiled, but you deserve it. Spoiled by paradise. Spoiled <laughs> by paradise. Wow. Well. Everybody, this, our time is up. This episode went a little bit over time, but definitely lots of awesome stuff there. Um, that's going to do it for us for part one of this episode. Uh, we'll be back next week, Monday night, 9 p.m. East Coast time with part two, along with the same group of ladies we have here tonight. Uh, we're going to talk more with them and get into you know more some deeper topics. Uh, again, this show is brought to you by Beat Refinery DJ School at Bach to Rock. Learn how to mix, scratch, and make music by visiting BeatRefinery.com. We have school locations all over the U.S. If you missed any of our episodes, you can watch our past shows on Facebook.com slash BeatRefinery or YouTube.com slash BeatRefinery. If you prefer to listen to the audio side of things, this episode will be uploaded this Thursday to Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music wherever you consume and listen to all things podcasts. So make sure to click like, comment, and subscribe to all of our different platforms, whichever you prefer. Thanks again to everybody for tuning in. Election season is happening right now, so make sure to vote, guys. Vote, We're gonna vote, keep vote. reminding you. We're going to keep reminding you.
<laughs> keep wearing a mask spread some love we'll see you guys next week so everybody say peace 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 peace, peace. 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 peace.